Um, this morning, our text is going to be found in Luke uh, chapter 9. Um, if you have your Bibles uh, with you or you're using the Rack Bibles, I believe that's page 866. So you can go ahead and turn to that. And it is my great joy to welcome back to the stage uh, Pastor Rick Piccarella, who's been on sabbatical. Um, he has spent the last two months working on today's sermon. So no pressure at all whatsoever. So it's great to have you back. So. Hey, appreciate that. Makes me think I should go away more often. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. If you guys would turn there. Uh, we're going to pick up in there in just a moment. A couple announcements to let you know of things that are starting up again as we go into the fall. Uh, our Zoom, we are going to resume uh, some Zoom early morning. Uh, I guess it's not early, 8 o'clock. That's not early, right? Uh, some of you might be early. Uh, Zoom Tuesday, uh, it says Tuesdays and Thursdays. I know we're doing it on Tuesday. Is Pastor Marvin here? Are we doing Tuesdays and Thursdays? I don't know. If you, Tuesday at 8, tune in at Zoom Click on that. We'll start uh, Tuesday Prayer and Devotions with Pastor Eddie Stewart. And uh, this Tuesday, that starts that at uh, 8 o'clock in the morning. Uh, and then also, coming up uh, the third Thursday of every month, we do our missionary, our global outreach uh, prayer time as well online. And you can jump on 8.30 at night, jump on that Zoom call, pray uh, with others in Mount Hope for our global outreach partners around the world. And we always bring a couple on for you to meet or get to know better if you've already known them. So uh, this week, if you 8.30 at night, uh, jump on that Zoom, you'll meet Mike, who is uh, based in Virginia, but trains Chi Alpha campus missionaries. And he'll be on that call. And then uh, Mary and John, who are missionaries to India. Uh, are going back to India, they'll be on that call as well. So you can go to a Mount Hope homepage, click on Zoom gatherings, and uh, that's, you'll get all the information how to link and connect there. All right, Luke chapter 9, uh, verses 1 to 17 is what we're going to be looking at today. I'm going to start by reading verses 1 through 9, and we'll talk a little bit about those, and then we'll read the rest in a few moments together. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. Here's what the Word of God says. And he, that's Jesus, <clears throat> and he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, from there depart. And wherever you, they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was happening, and he was perplexed, because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the prophets of old had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he sought to see him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for your spirit today that is with us to make the word alive to us. 
God, help us to hear and understand what you have for us this morning. I pray that you would use my words, Lord, to speak your word. Lord, not, nothing be said that is not of you. Father, I ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear and understand what your spirit would want to speak to us today, Lord. May these words and this time be pleasing to you, glorifying to your name, edifying to your church body. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. When I was a, uh, when I was a kid, I had a toy bear. It was a talking bear. It wasn't uh, Teddy Ruxpin. Some of you remember Teddy Ruxpin. I'm a little old for Teddy Ruxpin. I think one of my younger sisters might have had a Teddy Ruxpin. But this bear talked too. But you had to pull a string. And you pull the string, and when the string went back in, the bear would say one of three or four sayings. To be honest, I really don't remember many of the sayings. I don't remember any of them except one. Once in a while, you'd, every third or fourth time, you'd pull the string, and the bear would say, you're a born leader. And he would say it just with that cadence. I remember it saying, it's like that. You're a born, and you'd hear the string go back in, you're a born leader. And I guess the bear did its job because the saying stuck with me, and I still remember it today, which I guess was the point. I think, you know, my parents buying me the bear thought, well, we want to instill these, these statements, these sayings, these truths in our kids. And I suppose parents do that today, too. Maybe not through talking bears, but through television programs or teaching or bringing them to church. That they would hope they would get these lessons, truths, teachings in their lives. And hopefully maybe one would be that they're to be a leader. I don't think, I'm just guessing, that on the shelf where that bear was sold, that there was another bear on the shelf as well, that if you pulled the string, it would say, you're a born follower. <laughs> I mean, if that bear did exist, I'm guessing it probably didn't sell very many bears. There aren't many parents that are trying to teach their kids, you are a born follower. Everyone wants to be a leader. We go down to Barnes & Noble right now down the street. I bet we'd find shelves and shelves of books on leadership. I know we would. I haven't looked, but I doubt that there are shelves. And I'd be surprised if there was one shelf with books filled on how to follow. And yet... For those of us that call ourselves Christians, for those of us that love Jesus, never on the lips of Jesus in the Gospels do you find the words, come, become a leader. Never on the lips of Jesus do you say, come and I will make you a leader. But often you find the words, come, follow me. Come become a follower. It's not that you, there aren't leaders and leadership isn't important. Of course it is, and leadership's even important in the church. But the point is that even uh, whatever, even leading in the church ought to first come after being a follower. Even a pastor in a church, though he may have or she may have responsibilities to lead, they first ought to be a follower. They ought to be the lead follower in the church. And so we are called to follow. We are called Jesus 
followers. I think the word follow has been kind of diluted in our world. Uh, just the same way Facebook has diluted the word friend. I think Twitter and Instagram has diluted the word follower. Anyone know who has the most, the person has the most followers on Instagram? It's 387 million, I think. No one in this room, I'm guessing. No. Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, the woman that has the most followers on Instagram is Kylie Jenner, 260-something million. But we've diluted this word follower, haven't we? It just means I click on a button and I get some information maybe a person shares. But that's not what Jesus meant by followers. Jesus calls followers to be people who become like him. And he calls those who would be disciples, those who would come into relationship with him, he calls them, he calls us to be followers. So what is it to be a follower of Jesus? For the next several weeks, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, uh, and we're going to look at this topic of following. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? If this is what Jesus calls us to be, we ought to take some time to at least look at it. And Luke chapter 9 gives us some principles along those lines. We're going to be in this series through the beginning of October. Then we're going to take a break from Luke for a couple other series as we finish out the year and start next year. And we'll return to Luke in 2022. But we're going to do chapter 9 in the next several weeks together and looking at it through this lens of what does it mean to follow Jesus. So this morning, three characteristics, three principles, three uh, thoughts on what it is to be a follower of Jesus. And the first one is this, Jesus' followers get the message. Jesus' followers understand the message of Jesus. Jesus' followers get his message. Jesus said these words in, in verse 6 that we just read. He said, and they departed, or Luke said, and they departed and went through the villages preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, I think those of us who are Christians, and I'm speaking mostly to, to people who would consider themselves Christians today. If you're not a Christian here, we're glad to have you here. If you don't consider yourselves a Jesus follower yet, glad to have you here. You get a good good picture on what a Jesus follower is. But those of us who consider ourselves Jesus followers, I'm guessing when I say the word gospel, something comes to your mind. And often I think what comes to my mind and maybe what comes to your mind with the word gospel or what is, it's a, it's a word that's translated literally good news. The gospel is that Jesus came to earth, lived his life, showed us how to live, being born of a virgin, and then lived his life, showed us how to live, died on a cross, taking our sins upon him, that if we would put our faith in him, that we might have forgiveness of our sins, because he rose from the dead three days later, ascended, and is at the right hand of God the Father today. The many of us would, that would be the gospel. We'd put it in the terms. If you want to put it in symbols, it would be the the manger, the cross, the empty tomb, right? That's the gospel. But these followers of Jesus were preaching the gospel. You may be picking up on what the problem is here because they are preaching before Jesus goes to the cross. They are preaching before the empty tomb. They are preaching 
before the ascension of Jesus. So what are they preaching? So what's the gospel they're preaching? What's the message they're preaching? And I think this is important, and I think it's important for this reason. Because we on this side of the empty tomb may have more to preach than they had, may have more knowledge than they had, may have more to say than they had, but we must not say less. And I think sometimes we might be saying less. I think sometimes we might have a truncated gospel. A gospel that, to put it in one way, is, to, is the invitation, but never takes people into the party. Or the job offer, but never brings people to the first day of work. That, that we have a truncated gospel, that yes, it's absolutely 100% true that Jesus died for your sins, and if you will put your faith and your trust in him, that you can have complete forgiveness of guilt and shame of all of your sin. You can be assured of eternal life with him. That is 100% true. That is gospel. But it's not all the gospel. There's more to it because these guys were preaching the gospel and they couldn't preach that. Not yet. So what were they preaching? Well, let's just back up a little in the scripture to verse 2 and see how Jesus sent them out. It says in verse 2, and he sent them out to proclaim, say this with me, the kingdom of God. Let's do better than that. To proclaim the kingdom of God. If we switch over to chapter 10, real quick, Jesus is sending out 72, if you just flip out the page. He's sending out 72, and it says, he sends them out to heal the sick and to say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So this is the good news. So the good news that the disciples and the apostles and the followers of Jesus right then are preaching is that the kingdom of God has come. Not that there is a kingdom of God. They all knew. They all believed. He's preaching to these Jewish people. They all believed there was a kingdom of God. He wasn't preaching that. He said, go out and preach the kingdom of God has come. It's near you. In fact, go heal some diseases and cast out some demons just to show that the kingdom of God has come because a king rules and a king has authority. And so you, are be, you will be showing the fact that the kingdom of God has come. I think many of us as Christians, we don't get the whole message. We know the gospel part of how to get the invitation. We know the gospel part of how to be saved. We sometimes leave out the fact that you are invited into something. It's not that you just say the prayer and then you burn up grace until Jesus comes again or you die that you are invited into relationship, that you are invited into the kingdom of God, that you are invited into a place where the reign of God begins to reign over every aspect of your life, over the, one of the only two places in all the universe that does not operate in complete obedience to God. There's only two places in the universe that don't operate in complete obedience to God's will the demons and the devils and the forces of darkness and the human heart and human will. And when you are invited into the kingdom of God, you are invited to live as a child of God where the kingdom of God begins to reign in you over every aspect of your life and you begin not just to be a, not a rule follower, you begin to work and experience the life of God 
and the good life that he has created you for now, not just life after this life, but life during this life. And this is the kingdom that God has invited you into. That you would live such a life where God begins to rule and reign over every part of who you are. And you understand yourself as a child of God, a child of the king, such that you might be able to live your life 100% free of anxiety and worry. 100%. Why? Because Jesus is my king. He's on the throne. And if he is king over all this and the kingdom of God has come and the kingdom of God is near, then the things of this world, no matter what happens, I can trust that he is going to bring about good somehow. Not that it won't be hard. Not that there won't be pain. Jesus didn't promise that. What he promised is I'll bring about good from whatever comes. And he's the king. This is what we hang on to as the kingdom of God. And you say, well, pastor, sometimes I get anxious and sometimes I worry. Does that mean I'm not in the kingdom of God? Nope. That's not what that means. What that means is it's like a dashboard light that should flash up before your eyes and say, here's a part of my life, Lord, once again, that is not living under completely under your kingship. So show me. So take it under. Because I get anxious sometimes. And in those times, what I do is I take that as a reminder to say, God, here's an area of my life that I need to trust you more in. Here's an area of my life. When you're tempted and your things come your way, does that mean you're not in the kingdom of God? Nope, but it's a dashboard light of your soul that goes off and says, and here's an area of my life, God, that needs to be brought under your, your kingship in a greater way. Here's an area of my life that needs to, Lord, you need to reign in this part of my life in a greater way. Even the greatest saints of history at times have experienced times where, where it's difficult and challenging Diane Groover, in her book, Companions in the Darkness, tells the story of Martin Luther, 16th century theologian who was the spark of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, many of them, people know him for that, but they don't know that he suffered with major bouts of depression. And he had a wife, Katie, Kate, who God had given him to walk with him, who often counseled him and helped him out of these times of darkness that he would walk through. But sometimes it got, it got so hard for Luther that she would have to take some drastic measures to get his attention. So one particular time, when he was in a place of darkness and depression, Kate put a black dress on and began to walk around the house. And Martin said, are you going to a funeral? And she said, no, but if you're going to act like God is dead, I might as well join you in your mourning. Oh. And this saint of God, this great theologian, this incredible mind had times when he had to be reminded, Jesus is king, God is king, he's on the throne. Times might be difficult, but you are a part of the kingdom of God where God is in control. He's going to bring about good. He's working. You're not just asked to recite a prayer and get some fire insurance on hell. You are invited into a place where God begins to reign, where you can start to live a life where you bless those who curse you, where you love those who hate you, where you pray for those who persecute you. This is the kingdom that God invites you into. How can you do that? Because this world is not our home because there's another place. We're just guests here. 
just traveling through. You had to live as a child of God, a child of the kingdom of God. Now, by that, don't hear what I'm not saying. I don't mean what some preachers say when you are a child of the king. I don't mean God has promised you riches on this side of heaven. I don't mean that God has promised you you'll never, ever get sick. You'll never experience pain. In fact, scripture and church history would tell us clearly otherwise. But I do mean that the kingdom of God is near, and he's, it's begun, and it's with you, and he's with you. So the first thing followers understand is they get the message and you need to get there i need to get the message the full message that you are not just invited in to have your sins forgiven that's the start you're invited into a kingdom where god reigns fully and completely secondly jesus followers urgently share his message they urgently share his message this part of the scripture says Jesus sent them out saying, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, you got an important task, an important mission, travel light, get the word out, go and do the work. Don't worry about this other stuff. Don't spend two days on Airbnb trying to figure out what the best house in Capernaum to stay in is. Look at it. Well, this one's close to the synagogue, but this one has a pool, and that one has a con. Jesus is saying, just go, stay in a house, do your work out of there, and then leave from that house. Don't worry about food. Don't worry. You got an urgent task that's ahead of you. You got an important task. Your task is a priority to accomplish. And followers of Jesus understand that they have an urgent task, not only to be a part of the kingdom of God, but to share, joyfully share this with others. And if we're not joyfully sharing it with others, then go back and see step one. Followers of God understand and get the message. Because when you get the message, when you understand the, the chains that you've been set free from, when you understand that, I love the words of that song, I, I had to stop James and stop worshiping in order to add it to my Spotify playlist. Because I thought, I love these words, the body raising, prodigal saving, chain breaking. When you understand that message, you joyfully share it with others. Urgent. Now, don't mistake the word urgent for hurry. Jesus was never, ever, 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 ever <laughs> in a hurry. You read through the Gospels, and I've read through them many times, you don't see Jesus in a hurry. Jesus is never hurrying anywhere. Last week, Henry preached a, a wonderful message, and we saw Jairus needing a healing from Jesus and interrupting Jesus' teaching and saying, my daughter is sick, come heal her. And Jesus says, okay, I'll go heal her. But then a woman with an issue of blood stops him and, and, and gets a healing and he wants to stop and minister to her and he stops and ministers to her. And then he goes back to Jairus' house in that ministry. He's not in a hurry. He's on purpose. He's, he, he knows the task is, is urgent, is priority, but he's not in a hurry. What's the difference? 
The difference is that your life is to be a constant force moving in the direction of God's purposes for you. But it doesn't, you don't have to hurry. But it should be always at the top of your mind and heart. Lord, if you're going to minister, if you want to minister to me and through me to these people in front, Lord, make a way. Lord, make a way for me to share the kingdom of God with them. Make a way for me to share the full gospel. And make a way for me to share your love with them. This task is urgent. This is important. We, unfortunately, sometimes only get urgent about the task when someone is dying. But what about all the life they're missing in the meantime? If we were to share Jesus with them. The task is urgent. And followers understand the urgency. Lord, help me to share this message with those you've put in my life and in my path and in my way. Friends at school, colleagues at work. Say, well, they'll never be open to it. Lord, you make a way. Lord, you open the door, just like you did in my heart and my life. It's an urgent task. It's constant moving. Adinarab Judson was a missionary, one of the first missionaries, not the first, but one of the first missionaries to be sent out from the United States. He was born in Malden, Massachusetts. He studied at what's now Brown University, committed his life to going and bringing the gospel to the Burmese people. Went to Burma with the hope that one day he would leave ministry and retire and, and be able to have brought 100 people to Christ. 100 of the Burmese, there'd be 100 Burmese believers. He plugged away for 10 years translating the English Bible into Burmese, ministering and reaching out to people. After a decade of investing his whole life in this, there were 18 Burmese believers. But the task was urgent. He continued to plug away, be on purpose. Judson did. After 40 years of ministry, four decades of ministry, he had translated the entire Bible into the Burmese language, half of an diction, English to Burmese dictionary, there were 100 churches that had been planted and 8,000 believers in Burma. Not because he was in a hurry, but because over 40 years he persistently continued to stay urgent about the task that God had given him. Stay on task, stay on purpose. Third and finally, Jesus followers. Jesus followers utterly rely upon Utterly rely upon him to do the first two things that he's given you to do. Fully rely upon him. Let's pick it up the rest of the passage. Luke chapter 9, verse 10. On their return, the disciples come back, right? On their return, the apostles told him all they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. 
And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. Jesus' followers understand that they need to utterly rely upon him. Jesus was giving his followers a lesson. And the lesson was this. That they couldn't do anything without his power and without his presence, without his ability. They thought Jesus was giving them a problem to figure out. You got 5,000 men, women and children too, five loaves, two fish, all right, feed everyone. And, and sometimes we think that. They thought God, Jesus wasn't giving them a MacGyver situation, right? You got a pocket knife, uh, you know, a paper clip, now get out, you know, escape from this truck, right? That's not what Jesus was doing. He wasn't telling them, figure it out. He was telling them, fully rely. See, they had already taken stock of their situation and found it wanting. We got five loaves and two fish. That's it. I mean, they just, they just forgot to count Jesus among their provisions. They just forgot to take into account that Jesus was there with them, that the God of the universe, the God of all, all that is and all that was, was there with them. They just looked at five loaves and two fish and said, what do you want us to do? Want to spend seven months' wages and try and feed these people? Jesus said, tell them to sit down. There's a lesson. Here we go. The lesson is that Jesus was going to provide for them in all that he was calling them to do, that the demons they had just cast out, that the people they had just healed didn't happen apart from the power of Jesus, didn't happen apart from Christ in them and giving them the ability to do that. Even sharing the message, you don't save a person, they didn't save a person, I don't save anyone, God alone saves somebody. And unless God is at work in someone's heart, unless God is at work in their life, unless God is, is drawing them to, to himself, the work is not going to get done or amount to anything. I need to fully rely upon God. I think sometimes we have so much that we forget how much we need to rely on the Lord. Sometimes our abundance keeps us from seeing how much we need God. A few months back, earlier this year, we had uh, a young man come and share with you, Terry Mugabe, uh, someone we were, our global outreach team was looking at partnering with in the work that God has called him to. I got to have, uh, Isaac and I got to sit down and have lunch with Terry after church that Sunday, who has an amazing story that God has brought him through. Terry grew up uh, most of his life in a refugee camp, a refugee of the Rwandan genocide. If you studied it, you know what I'm talking about. If you've seen the movie Hotel Rwanda, you, you know the situation is gruesome violence of a few days of massive killing in Rwanda that resulted in this incredible crisis of, of refugees, and Thierry and his family were one of them. 
and his father died in the year 2000, and he and his siblings and mom were in this refugee camp for many years until 2013, where they, uh, where names came up in the lottery to be able to uh, relocate to the United States as a part of a refugee relocation program. And he came here, and he went to Bible college, and, and he's grown, and God has now called him to ministry, and he's going out to serve the Lord as a missionary. And at lunch with Thierry, uh, hearing his story was incredible, and, and, and just I had a question for him. I said, Thierry, I, not even a question. I almost made a statement. I, I said, Thierry, in that camp, I can't imagine what that, I mean, I, I watched Hotel Rwanda. I, 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 it's hard to even look at and think about, and I, I got to imagine that there must have been a lot of people who were just bleary-eyed, who were just shaken, and who abandoned any faith in God that they might have had. That God was not with them, that God had forgotten them. And uh, Thierry said to me, he said, Pastor, he said, there's no atheists in a refugee camp. He said, because I was saying, how could people believe in God in a situation like that? And Thierry's response was, how could they not believe in God in their situation? They had nothing else to hang on to. That was their hope. They were fully relying upon God for their next meal, for their next for provision, for protection. And I think about that, and I think, I think sometimes we who have often so much, we miss how much we really need to rely on God and how much everything we do have comes from God. That we can lose that. We are, we, we are discipled out of it because of the way that our culture has discipled us into their way of thinking. And we forget. We forget what God has done. And ask our worship team to come back as we prepare to close. Jesus didn't want his disciples to forget because at the end of it, there were 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets of leftover pieces of bread. You ever wonder about that? I mean, why the leftovers? Couldn't Jesus count? I mean, didn't he know that how hungry people would be? I mean, couldn't Jesus? I mean, is Jesus like, you know, like my Italian gatherings? Like if there's not more than enough food, there's not enough food, right? That's what it sometimes is. I mean, why the baskets of leftovers? Because there were just enough. In fact, Jesus could count perfectly. Because there was just enough that each of those followers and apostles would walk away with a basket full of broken bread, the weight of which in their hands would remind them of the provision of God for their lives. That they can do nothing apart from Christ. What they could not do feeding a multitude of people, Jesus did. That this was a reminder of God's provision. And the big idea is this, to remember that anything, that followers of Jesus is someone who lives as a child of his kingdom, urgently shares his message with others, and relies on Jesus to do both. That I can't live as a child of the kingdom in my own strength that I can't even share this good news in my own strength and have it have any real effect. I have to rely on Christ and his strength and his ability that anything good might come 
of my life. So two questions as we close this morning. What's your basket of bread? What's the basket of bread that God has given to you to remind you of his provision in your life, his power, his ability to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish? What's the basket of bread? Is it, I don't know, is it a bill that you didn't expect to get paid and somehow God provided for you and reminded that you are to rely upon him and you need to pin that bill up on a bulletin board someplace and put God's provision on it, put a basket of bread on it maybe. I don't know, what is it? Is it a healing you didn't expect to get and then you were 100% healed and you need to remember that God is able to do that in your life? What's the basket of bread? Is it an ultrasound picture? Is it adoption papers where you were adopted into a family? I don't know, what's that basket of bread for you? Is it a rock from a beach where God met you? God encountered you? God answered you? I don't know what it is, but if you are a follower of Jesus, I promise you there are breadcrumbs along the way of your path of faith with Christ. Places where he protected you and you didn't even know you needed protection. Places where he provided where you didn't even know you needed provision. Baskets of bread. What are the baskets of bread in your life that you need to remember God's provision? And my second question is this. Are there places in your life where the king is not completely reigning? Where you need to invite God's kingship to completely and continually overshadow your life? That we would not just pray, but we would pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my job, in my school, in every aspect of who I am as it is in heaven. Let the kingdom of God begin to reign in me and through me and let me be a part of your kingdom coming and let me be a part of what you are doing and wanting to do in the world. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to stand as we close out our service in prayer. And that's my prayer. I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would, one, make clear to you, remind you of a basket of bread that he's given you. And then also, if there's a place in your life that needs to come under his kingship, that he would make that clear as well and work that in your life. Lord, God, we come to you today, and we come hungry. We come inadequate. We come, Lord, grateful and yet so undeserving of everything you've already given us. And yet sometimes we come just not seeing it. We come taking for granted everything you've given. Lord, forgive us for missing, seeing the baskets of bread that have been left because of your abundant provision in our lives. And so, Lord, help us bring us to our remembrance, whatever it is, in the places where you have worked. 
Help us to remember those and hang on to those and to remember that we cannot live this life without you. We can't even share your message without your presence. But Lord, I also pray, because not just for some of us, for all of us, there are places in our lives where we need to be formed more into the image of Christ. Places in our lives that need to be shaped more to look like Jesus. Lord, but they need to come under your kingship. They need to come under your rule that we would be part of your kingdom, Lord. Whatever those lights are, those dashboard lights that are signifying this place or that place is not completely under your rule. Help us to do that, that we might live as you have called us to live. So show us that, Lord. Help us to surrender everything fully and completely to you because the kingdom of God is near, because you're a good king, because when it's all over, it will be good. Because you have promised that all things will work together for good. We trust you in this. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.